Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you today. Uh, a little different, of course, uh, being here on camera and speaking to a camera instead of to all of you lovely people that I just love seeing at church, uh, but hopefully that day will come very soon. Uh, and it's exciting to see some of the groups meeting in homes today. So we do get to see some of us um, a little bit. So really looking forward to that. Uh, so this, this um, week we're in the middle of a series on Lent. And we've been talking about... Um, fasting and we've been doing fasting together as a church. Uh, last week we were fasting on social media and I don't know how many of you survived and how much time it created for you. For me, I found it didn't create too much extra time, just a little bit. Um, but I found that every time like my immediate reaction was to go check something on Facebook or Instagram that it was like, oh, no, not doing that, and it was just a good reminder every time. But I do find that fasting can, um, um, sometimes I think when we, when we fast, we expect, you know, for it to be like walking through like angels on clouds and that we have this great uh, relationship with God and it's all amazing and we feel like that's the way should a fast be. But more often than not, a fast is where we find ourselves very agitated and we find ourselves very exposed and we find out um, how sinful we are. And um, if you've been feeling that way, you're doing the right thing. Just keep on going. God is doing a deep work in you. And, um, and this week, for all of you um, that want to know what we're fasting this week, we're fasting sleep. Now, I can hear all of you going, no, not doing that. But try Give it a go, even if it's half an hour, 15 minutes, uh, one to two hours. You can either get up early or stay up late. But the whole point is making room for Jesus. So make time for Jesus. So just don't wake up early, get out of the and get out of bed and have a shower and go on with your day. Actually stop and spend some time with Jesus and just see what he does in your life. And there's, there's so much. Um, I've done um, fasts as a church before. And there is amazing power when we do this together. So, um, you know, we're doing it in community. And if you're needing a miracle, if you're needing something to happen in your life, if you're needing God to move in your life, well, fasting's a great, great way to do that. And, um, and just to connect with God on a deeper level. And like I've found quite often when I've fasted before that it feels like, Zero things are happening. But then I find when the fast ends that suddenly everything's a lot more powerful or it's kind of like I understand God a bit much better or I have more revelation or he's done a deep work in me that I didn't even realise he'd done. So persist with it. So, so this week it's sleep and we've only got two more weeks to go until Easter. So um, expect God to do things in you. So today we're going to talk about an interesting thing. We're going to talk about sackcloth and ashes. It's a very interesting topic, I know, and you're probably wondering why, but we read about it in the, Testament, in the Old Testament quite often. It was something that the Hebrews did to express grief and when things were going wrong. Uh, we see Job, when he was in a moment of devastation, uh, 
He'd lost everything. His family were taken away. His property was taken away. Uh, everything that he held dear was taken away. And all he did was sit in, in ashes. And we see in Job 2 verse 8, here it says, he sat in the ashes. You're like, that's a weird thing. Why would you do that? But this is what they did in Hebrew time. Then you've got Tamar. Now, she had been raped and was just devastated. Uh, she was um, taken advantage of. She was left on her own. She had no future, hope for the future. And she had to pick up the broken pieces of a shattered life. And in 2 Samuel 13, verse 19, it says, And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Bit weird, isn't it? It's kind of like... What do I, what's the point of putting ashes on your head? I don't understand it. And we don't, we don't get it today. But then, so this, these are two people in the Bible when something's gone wrong in their life. They've felt the need to either sit in ashes, put ashes on their head. But then there's other people in the Bible that weren't in a personal crisis, well, they kind of were, but it was like a national crisis. It was something that was going on with the people of God. And they were looking at all this devastation around them. So here we see Daniel in Daniel verse 9-3. We see at this time, uh, Daniel and his people are suffering in captivity. And he prayed to God on behalf of his people that God would have mercy. He repented, confessed his own sin and his deep need for him. And here we see, he goes, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Here we see ashes again. We see fasting and we see sackcloth. Strange. Then go forward to the book of Esther. And you've got Mordecai, who's learned about um, the king's plans to annihilate the people, the Jewish people. And um, Mordecai is just devastated. And um, in Esther, it says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. So what's it all about? We've got all these weird things happening. We've got tearing of clothes happening. We've got sackcloth happening. We've got ashes happening, fasting happening and wailing happening. And it might seem weird to us because, you know, when we're, when we're devastated, we don't go, I'm going to go and find some ashes and put them on my head. That's not something we automatically think of doing. We don't think of tearing our clothes. But in those days, that's what they did. Actually, when we are angry about something, often we want to smash something. So maybe that's what tearing clothes was like. But, but there was more meaning for it in the Hebrew times. It was kind of like a Hebrew way of grieving before God. So you saw all these different components and different things that they did when they were going through a difficult time, when they were grieving, grieving and they were devastated and there was nothing left to do other than turn to God. So you see tearing of clothes. Now, then they didn't have like H&M down the road where they could just go and buy new clothes and they were cheap. You know, clothes were expensive 
expensive and you, had, you only had a few outfits that lasted you uh, all year. So if you tore clothes, you, you actually were tearing up valuable property. Um, and quite often in, in those times, um, clothes would be used as, a, as an alternative to money as a way to trade. So there was actually, so it was like they were tearing up money um, before God because they were wanting to show God that I am humble before you, God. I need you. I am in this moment of devastation and only you will do. Only you can help me. I'm totally in your hands. All this property I have, it means nothing. Then we see sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was made of black goat's hair and um, it wasn't their ordinary clothes. And if you can imagine, um, it's kind of like hessian or um, burlap, you might call it these days. But when you wear it, it's really itchy. So as you're walking around, not only are your clothes torn, but now you're wearing, you're giving up your property, but now you're wearing sackcloth, and it's constantly reminding you of how itchy you are. You can't go anywhere without being reminded of this devastation. And again, it's another sign of humility that helps you to remember your need of God. And everything they were doing was reminding them of their need of God. A bit like the fasting that we're doing now. It's reminding us of our need of God. And it is a reminder every time you have a hunger pain or every time you go to your phone to turn on social media, you remember. And it's like these constant reminders throughout the day of your need for God. Then we see ashes. And if you've ever been... uh, In Australia, we like to have campfires and sit around and have campfires. But you know when you've been at a campfire, the smell of smoke just goes through you? And it's like that, the, the ashes, when you have them on your head or you have them on your skin, it's kind of like gets into everything. If you've ever been to the beach and you've got sand, you know, sand gets into all sorts of places and you wonder how it got there, but it gets there. And ash is that fine kind of, um, fine kind of dirt that can wheel its way into all sorts of places to make you feel uncomfortable, but it also has a very strong smell. So as you're going about your day, you can smell. It's a reminder of your devastation and a reminder of your need for God. So we're seeing all these things that are building up. They're they're impacting all of our senses and particularly our physical body and reminding us of God. Then there was fasting. And if you fasted uh, with us in the first week of the fast, you'll know about hunger pains. And, you know, every time your your stomach reminds you that you're hungry, it's it's another trigger to remember, oh, my need of God, I'm humble before God. So we can see all of these things coming together. And then there's the wailing, humbling yourself and facing your deep grief. It's like bringing your concerns to God. It's kind of a prayer, but just going, God, nothing but you is going to be able to answer this. The devastation is so deep that that I'm not going to be able to do anything without you. I need you to move. This is the situation. It's God, you do something or nothing's going to happen. And that's when, that's what sackcloth and ashes was. It was a way of praying and humbling yourself towards God. But it also told the community, because most of those things are very outward. 
So it was um, telling the community that you were in need of God as well. So you were humbling yourself, uh, not only before God internally, but to your community externally. So sackcloth and ashes is deep mourning, but it's also repentance. Like I was saying earlier, sometimes when you're fasting, it doesn't like bring this angelic future. You just find out how sinful you are or how dependent on things you are and not God. And you, and you realise your reliance on things other than God and then you need to repent. And, um, and that's what sackcloth and ashes was. It was a time of deep mourning, but also a time for repentance where you actually went, God, I've stuffed up. I need to, um, you know, I need, I need your help. I need you to, to forgive me. And, um, and in Old Testament times, it was kind of like a penance. If I do this, it'll make up, it'll make up for this because they didn't have Jesus who'd forgiven their sins at that stage. They had to kill the fatted lamb. They had to do all these things. It was always things that they had to do. Um, so therefore it became very outward. Um, and it was a time of grieving and a time of putting things before, before God and saying, God, without you, I can't do anything. Um, you know, we all have different ways of grieving. Um, if you've ever lost someone, you'll know that um, I know earlier, uh, about 10 years ago, my grandmother died. And that was the first time in my life I'd really ever encountered someone close to me dying. Um, and, you know, it's a time of grief. And we all have different ways of grieving. And I can just remember I was actually on a mission trip when my grandmother died um, and so I got the call when I was over in Thailand and, you know, we had to decide whether I was going to come back or not straight away. But we decided I was only going to be a few more days, so we'd come back. And um, we were all, the family was grieving, but I found, like, when I came back, everyone else had grieved a bit and gone on and I was just straight into it and, like, crying, and my family were like, you can't cry, we'll pull, we won't be able to hold it together if we do. Um, but, yeah, so different people grieve in different, different ways. Um, a few years ago, um, with my work with abolition, we were doing training of social workers, and we were training them on trauma, and, how, and we were talking about the subject of Greece. And we had um, an Australian speaker there, and she was talking about funerals and when we grieve that um, in, in Australia we like to make it a celebration because in Australian culture we don't like to think about difficult things like we like to look at the whole world with rose-coloured glasses so you know um, we don't we don't share our feelings easily like our grief and, and things easily and so for funerals, we turn them into like a celebration of someone's life because then it makes it easier to deal with it. And we don't have to deal with the fact that we've lost someone. We have to deal with how wonderful their life was and, and how amazing it was. And that's the way in Australia um, we grieve and do funerals. But when we were talking to all these Romanian social workers, it was kind of like, this does not compute they, they were like, because in Romania, when somebody dies, you wear black for the next six months and you wail, like you cry, there's tears, there's wailing. And all these Romanians were like, 
but how do you ever recover if all you do is just celebrate? Like, there is something therapeutic in the wailing, and I think God knows about this, that, you know, that we are meant to grieve what we've lost, but we all have different ways of grieving. Um, Has anyone heard, like, speaking of funerals, has anyone heard that, that expression? You see it in movies all the time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We hear it all the time. And it sounds like a Bible verse, but it's actually not. It's from the Book of Common Prayer. And it actually goes, We therefore commit this body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust in sure and certain hope of the resurrection of eternal life. We usually don't hear that bit on the movies, just the ashes to ashes and dust to dust bit. But there is, there is biblical um, meaning as to where this term comes from, where this prayer comes from. And it comes from exactly the second page of my Bible. Um, we see it. And it's in Genesis 2 verse 7. And it says... Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So we see that we come from dust. Then in Genesis 3.19, we see more about dust. It says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and for dust you will return. So from ashes to ashes to dust to dust. And this is a lot of what Ash Wednesday is about. So in our series of Lent today, we're talking about Ash Wednesday. And um, and when we're talking about sackcloth and ashes, that the ashes actually had meaning. They, they were reminding you of devastation, but they were also reminding you of your own mortality. And I'm sorry today's message is quite morbid. I know I was saying to Gabby today, I feel like the message that God has given me today is all about death, and I'm sorry about that, but that's the message God's given me. Um, and it's about our mortality, but that's what Ash Wednesday is. It's a time to focus on the death of Jesus and his resurrection. But it's also a time to focus on our own mortality. You know, a lot of the times, um, uh, Ash, Ash Wednesday um, is in, in history. It comes from medieval times when the pagans celebrated all of these festivals and there was a time in the lunar calendar, which is why Easter is based on the lunar calendar rather than a date like Christmas, um, when the pagans, uh, when the Christians were like, well, we don't want to celebrate that festival because that's to false gods. Actually, um, the lunar calendar around Easter was um, to the fertility god Esther, which is why in Easter we see lots of things about uh, eggs and fertility and bunnies and all those kind of things. It actually comes from that. But the Christians decided, no, we want to take over this festival and make it about meaning about Jesus. So they took a time already in the calendar and re renamed it and recalled it and made it about, about Easter and it took on as a time to celebrate and reflect 
So the time for celebrating, and that's how Lent came about, because um, they decided to take a season that was already celebrated and make it for the purposes of um, showing, um, reflecting on Jesus' death and his resurrection, which is the time of Lent leading up to Easter. So there's this time where we're, um, where we're taking time to look and reflect on Jesus' death, his resurrection, and also to take a look at our own mortality. Now, for me, after the year we've had, like, I'm Australian, so I don't like thinking about negative things to begin with. But, um, but you know, after the year we've had with COVID, where we've been surrounded by death, where thinking about our own mortality has become a daily occurrence, it's like really uncomfortable to think about these things and to think about, you know, why do I want to think about death? Like, okay, other years, Ash Wednesday, spend time thinking about my mortality, think about how I'm going from dust to dust and how ashes represents that. It's like this year, I don't want to. I don't want to focus on those things because they make me feel uncomfortable and already the world feels uncomfortable already, you know, it just feels a little bit too close to home to be thinking about death and to be thinking about these things. But I want you to sit with it today. I want you to take, just for the time of this service, just to take some time to really reflect on your own mortality and to really think about how Jesus' death on the cross and him rising again in his resurrection impacts you because it does. He does. He impacts you. When the word death gets thrown around, there's a finality to it. When you're thinking about someone close to you dying, you're immediately thinking, have I said everything that I wanted to say? You know, has what I've done finished? Do they know I love them? Do they, do I, do they know I care? You know, we want to think about these things or we don't want to think about them actually. But there's a finality to death. Um, Tish Harrison Warren in an article on Christianity Today says the point is, when she's talking about Ash Wednesday, is that by accepting our mortality and not denying it, sentimentalising it or running from it, we cease the mad living merely to keep ourselves alive we suddenly realise there's an urgency to our life. There's a purposefulness to it. I didn't say that very well, purposefulness. <laughs> um, but there is a purpose to our life. Um, and it's um, to honour God and to love God and to find joy in God, but also to serve those around us. And if we actually spend time thinking about our death, if we spend time thinking about that our days are numbered, then we start to use them a bit more wisely. And today, I want you to think about, you know, today is the day to help others. Today is the day to make a world, the world a better place. Don't waste your time because you do have an end date. You do have an expiry date. Um, we can do that. But right now, what I want to do is I want us to take time to reflect on Jesus' death. I want you to imagine you're there when he's being crucified. Um, so I'm going to read a part of scripture 
And we're not putting it on the screen because I want you to really think about it. So just wherever you are, just close your eyes and I want you to put yourself in this scene and think about who are you in this scene? Are you one of the Roman soldiers? Are you sitting with the disciples? Are you, um, are you just an onlooker in the crowd? Where are you? Be uncomfortable with it. Put yourself in this scene and see how you relate to Jesus in this scene. Maybe think about if, if you've become a Christian and you feel like you now know Jesus, think about, well, who was I before? Because I want you to see your need of Jesus and what he's done for you. So really, let's just close our eyes and just meditate for a moment on this. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hippus plant and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Can you imagine yourself there in that scene? What's your expression when you see him bow his head? Because he did that for you. He did it for you. For your sin, for the things that you've done wrong, for the things you've repented of and the things that you haven't yet. And he did that so he could make a way for you in eternity. He did it for you. Okay, you can open up your eyes. It brings a reality to it, doesn't it? But Jesus in that, he ushered in a new way. And now I want to tell another story. And again, I want you to imagine yourself here. Uh, I'm reading from Luke 24, 1, 1 to 8. But it says, and again, we don't have the scripture on the screen. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in cloths that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he has told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Why do you look for the living among the dead? This is the whole hope of the Christian gospel, is that not only did Jesus die for us, but he rose again for us. And he conquered death. This is the hope that we have in him. So if you were feeling like you were in a funeral service a few minutes ago, and certainly I felt that way, you can rejoice now because he is not dead anymore. He is alive and we get to live by the power of his resurrection. So when it comes to sackcloth and ashes, it's kind of like Jesus has come along and flipped the switch on it. So we see the whole time where in the Old Testament they were um, fasting, they were in sackcloth, they were in ashes, they were wailing, they were tearing clothes, all very outward. Jesus has come along and flipped it. He's flipped the story. We read in Isaiah 61, It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The ashes are done with. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So all of that grieving, he has come to replace it with joy. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I just love how God's come along and he's flipped the switch. If we can go to the next slide, please. Here we see in the Old Testament... It was all sackcloth and ashes, but now, through Jesus, the the switch has been been flicked, (laughs) and it's now about prayer and fasting. Um, It's death to your view of who God was as this um, judgmental law um, God and taking on the new one of forgiveness. And understanding and redemption, that's what God wants to do. It's, it's less about what you're doing for God and the penance and your paying and the things that you're doing to fulfill the law and more about accepting the free gift of um, salvation from him, the free gift of I've got place for you in heaven and it's more about relationship. Um, So in the Old Testament, people felt very distant from God. But now, uh, and I thank God that I'm born in New Testament times because I find it hard to fathom how people related to God in Old Testament times. Um, 
But, uh, but we get to have relationship with him. We get to have personal relationship with him. Uh, and prayer and fasting is more internal and done in secret, whereas sackcloth and ashes was very external and it was very, um, it was very um, outward focused and people would see. So God has flipped the switch on it. And we, we now have, instead of in, in times of deep despair, we don't have to rip our clothes, we don't have to wear ashes, but instead we can come to him with lament, we can come to him in prayer, we can come to him in prayer and fasting and connect with God and have him speak into our situation. You know, there's a closeness. His peace is with us, his spirit is with us. It's all changed. Then we see uh, he's flipped the switch from law to salvation. Um, Here we have a renewed awe of salvation. And all of these things, as we think about Lent and Ash Wednesday, it's a time to reflect on these things. And we can sit there and feel like we're reflecting on the death of Jesus and it's all morbid and we're, we're looking at our mortality. But we're also looking at it in the light of hope. We're looking at it in the light of what Jesus has done and thinking about what he's accomplished for us. Sure, we're sad about the need for um, Jesus to have had to do that for us. Like we're confronted with our sinfulness. We're we're confronted with our need to repent. We're... um, we, we have to face those things, but at the same time, it reminds us of the immense joy that we have of, um, of um, God's salvation and all that he's done for us. It's kind of like uh, Lent is a period of doing like a spiritual health check every year, like going to the doctors every year and doing all your tests and making sure that everything's okay. Um, but it's a reminder, it's a time to reflect and go... Because, you know, we can, we can look at the gospel and we can forget how powerful it is in our lives and what God's done to us. Because we get used to spending time with God as we get close to God especially. Um, we can kind of forget that he actually had to die to save us. So it's good to really reflect back. And that's what Lent is, is a time of year to reflect back and go, oh, yeah, this is what Jesus has done. It's a time to recalibrate and remember, he did that for me. Um, and it's so important to do that. So he flipped from the law to salvation, uh, and we get to benefit from that. It reminds us of the gospel and our need of it. It's um, a time to reflect on Good Friday. It's a time to reflect on that Jesus did die, but then it's also time to reflect on Resurrection Sunday and the power of what he did in us. And we see the amazing thing. If we can have the next slide, please where we're going from death to life. You know, everything was about death. When we're working in the ashes, it was all about death. But now we celebrate life because Jesus has conquered death. You know, death in our story does not have the final word. Sure, we're all going to die some stage, but we all get to live on because of the power of the gospel. We get to live on in eternity. Um, Jesus is the resurrection and the life for us. Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death, and now we have life. So if we look at Revelation 1.8, going from the start of the Bible to the other end, it says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look I am alive forever 
and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. I can just imagine Jesus saying that, like swinging the keys in front of us. Look, I've got them. I hold the keys. I'm the powerful one here. Death does not have its victory over us. I have the victory. Jesus has the victory. And we get to participate in that. So I hope... You know, this is bringing some joy to your heart and it's just showing you the power of the resurrection and what felt like a funeral service and felt like it was just all dead and buried and felt like it was all despair has suddenly been flipped and we now have life. We now have joy. Um, If we go to... We started off in the second page of my Bible in Genesis 2, and now we're going to go to the second last page in my Bible, uh, to Revelation 21, verse 4. And it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The Old Testament way of doing things is gone. We live in victory in power of his resurrection and we get to accept that. Are you getting this? Are you getting how amazing this gospel is that we serve, that we live, um, we live in New Testament time? We get to follow Jesus who died for us. Yes, it was painful. Yes, I wish it didn't have to happen that way. I wish I didn't live a life of sin that required Jesus to do that. But I'm so thankful I don't have to live by the law anymore. And I don't have to live by this rule book. I get to live by God um, guiding me by my heart and uh, living in me and being in me and moving in my life. That's what God wants to do. Um, If the band could come up. I want to just tell a quick story of my aunt, she is. Uh, she just passed away this year, and uh, she was 102 when she passed away. Um, this is a photo of her here uh, when she's 102, and and that's her on the right there when she was in her 20s, I think. But um, it was really sad because um, because of COVID, we weren't able to have a funeral for her, which. Um, you know, you kind of, funerals are like therapy sometimes. Like it's a time focused on grieving and to say, to say goodbye. But we didn't get to have a funeral for her. So my mum and I worked on this book and we sent it to everyone that would have gone to the funeral. So they've got a keepsake of her. But this was a woman that lived her life for God. And um, in the last five years of her life, um, she uh, had dementia and she lost her memory and had Alzheimer's and everything and so I would walk into the room and uh, she wouldn't know who I was even though she's known me my whole life and um, and she would come up to me and she would go are you from the church dear and I'd just go yes because I figured I'm a pastor so I am from the church <laughs> um, and I'd just talk to her and it'll like introduce herself tell introduce myself tell her about my life And you know what, even though she forgot all of us, she forgot my mum, my dad, my sisters, she forgot who all of us were, she never forgot Jesus. 
It's like Jesus had got deep into her heart in a way, into her soul in a way that she never, ever forgot. And I can remember she, she, she was looking forward to going and um, she would say to me, she goes, I just can't wait. I can't wait to be with him. I can't wait to see him. She's like, I love him so much. And um, she was looking forward to him. But um, as one of the, um, when, when she was with her mind, obviously when you're in your 90s, you figure the day is going to come pretty soon. So you start preparing for your funeral. So she was really um, quite, um, she, she saw her funeral as a time to share God with other people. And so she, she said, I want these verses read. And, and she said, I want this poem poem read. And I'm going to read it to you because I think it shows the kind of hope that we can have in Jesus, the kind of hope that she had, that she knew where she was going. Because we don't have to wonder where we're going when we die. This is the hope we have in Jesus. If we're saved, if we've given our life to him, we know we're going to heaven. And this is the hope that she had. So let me just read this poem. It says, Don't grieve for me, for now I'm free. I'm following the path God laid for me. I took his hand when I heard him call. I turned my back and left it all. I could not stay another day to laugh, to love, to work or play. Tasks left undone must stay that way. I found that place at the close of day. If my parting has left a void, then fill it with remembered joy. A friendship shared, a laugh, a kiss. Ah, yes, these things I too will miss. Be not burdened with tears of sorrow. I wish for you the sunshine of tomorrow. My life's been full. I've savoured much. Good friends, good times and a loved one's touch. Perhaps my time seems all too brief. Don't lengthen it now with undue grief. Lift up your heart and share with me. God wanted me now. He set me free. Now, for some people listening, I'm wondering if you know of this hope that we're talking about. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard about it, that, you know, Jesus actually conquered death and maybe it's the first time the resurrection has ever made sense to you. But I want to ask you, do you want to live a life for God? I want to give you an invitation now to follow Jesus, to say yes, this is the Jesus I want to follow, the one that can hold the gates, the, the keys of death and like twinkle them in front of Him because He's so powerful and that He's so caring for you that He died on the cross for you. He died a humiliating death for you. But He didn't leave it there. He rose again for you. I want to ask you, do you want to follow Him? I want to invite you to follow Him. To, to follow him in his death and to follow him in his resurrection, but also to have eternal life because of it. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. That's it. So all you need to do is go... Jesus is Lord. It says, declare with your mouth, say it out loud. Jesus is Lord. And in your heart, believe that God raised him from the dead. You know, this story about the resurrection and the stone being rolled away, it's true. 
if you believe that, you will be saved. You will have eternal life in heaven. You don't have to worry about what happens when that expiry date finally comes on your life. You won't have to worry because you will have hope in Jesus. And better than that, He will come and fill your life. He will come and fill it um, with Him. And you will never be alone again because He will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you always, forever and ever. Uh, This verse goes on. It says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So why don't we now just bow our heads? And if that's you, I want you to say this out loud. And maybe you've said this out loud before and you've been a Christian for a long time. But say it out loud with me. If you're in a small group, let's say it out loud together. Uh, If you're in the room here, let's say it out loud together. If you're by yourself watching this online and maybe you're watching the recording later, say it out loud. Dear Jesus, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for dying on the cross for me. I confess that I'm a sinner, that I've just come from dust and I've done all sorts of things wrong. But I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. I invite you to come into my life. I want to live for you from this day forward. And with that, I accept that you have, ret- you have um, kept a place for me in heaven. That you have conquered death for me. And now I will have everlasting life. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer and if you prayed it for the very first time, please do uh, get in touch with us. Uh, Tell someone. um, You can uh, write to Riverside Lisbon on Facebook or email us or WhatsApp us. Uh, We would love to hear from you and to help you walk in your um, walk with God and help you to come alongside and maybe explain more things. You've probably got lots more questions and that's okay. But I want you to know that if you declare with your mouth, which is what we just did, Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God doesn't lie. He doesn't try to trick you. You can take his word for truth. It says if you've done that, you will be saved. And what's happened now is the um, switch has been flipped on your life and you are now living in relationship with him and you can live in the power of of relationship with him. And there's so much more to learn about it and we hope that you do get in touch with us uh, to talk about that um, because there's so much more to learn and there's so much joy you can have like this is just the beginning for you Um, now if you've been a Christian for a long time you need to know and have a reminder again that there is a new order of things God has changed it there is now relationship in our fasting not not despair but relationship 
There is restoration in our repentance. There is joy in our salvation. There is life after death. And we now have hope in Him. So let's, as Don, Don leads us in worship, let's really reflect on that and remember the immense victory that we have in Jesus' name. Amen.